0: have a copy of God's Word. If you do, I invite you to turn with me again to John, the Gospel of John. We're considering Jesus' final words to his disciples on the night before his crucifixion, sometimes called the Farewell Discourse or the Upper Room Discourse. John 15 now. Uh, for many of you, we're at the heart of some of your favorite verses, maybe some of your favorite passages in all of Scripture. Uh, as I was preparing on John 15, I thought, man, who, who, is, who is up for preaching on this? I mean, what a passage. Uh, just pleading for the Lord's help and, and grace. Thank you for those who've been praying. Look forward to looking at this passage here with you. Let's pray one more time, and then we'll look at John 15, the first 11 verses. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity now to gather around your word as your people. Even as the 11 disciples were traveling with you, likely walking to Gethsemane, having left the upper room, and were gathered and listening to the Master, we now gather to listen to our Savior, to hear his words of comfort and instruction, exhortation and warning. Uh, Speak to us now through your word, by your spirit, for our good, the salvation of the lost, and for your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. John 15 uh, is a beloved passage, but it's also a mysterious one in many ways, isn't it? Uh, we, We love the idea of abiding in Christ, but we don't always know what it means. Right? What is, what does that look like actually? Right? We love the image, right? Of vines and branches and fruit. We love the I am statements of Jesus. This is his final one, verse one. I am the true vine. What a beloved passage. But I think because of some lack of clarity and because of perhaps some, some poor teaching, many Christians long to become christians who abide in christ maybe seeking an experience of rest many many assume i've talked to christians that assume that that only some believers can abide and of course it's it's never them right. it's only Those Christians, I'm not one of those Christians. Maybe that's how you think through a passage like this. You, You long to become a Christian who abides in Christ, but you feel like you're kind of standing outside, right? Not sure how, pretty sure you're not abiding. Let me begin with something of a true north as we arrive at this passage. All true believers abide in Christ. To varying degrees... And in various areas, all believers abide in Christ. If you're not abiding in Christ this morning, you're not a Christian. You you, you, you don't have to become a Christian who abides. Do you see that? If you're a Christian, you are abiding in Christ already to a certain degree and with room to grow. You say, okay, but... But how can Jesus, down in verse 4, look down at 15.4, abide in me and I in you. How can Jesus command me to abide if I already am? Help me with this, pastor. Well, we need some categories here. We need... Just two broad categories of commands that we find in Scripture. And here, I'm going to use language that's not original to me. I'm not sure it's original to him, but I I read it in, in the resource you have there in the bulletin by Andy Nacelli, No Quick Fix. He talks about two different kinds of commands. If you were to go to my house, you would find broadly two kinds of light switches. The ones that go up and down. And the ones that are more like a dimmer. Or I have the ones that go up and down with the little dimmer on the side. You know, maybe you have one of those. So we got off, on, and we have dimmer switch. Now in scripture, most of the commands, and I didn't count, but I'm guessing most of the commands are actually off, on commands. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery, right? You're, you're either obeying them completely or you're not obeying them. But there are commands in scripture that are dimmer switch commands. Like make disciples. Love your neighbor. We, we could add to the list. Walk in love. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. These are commands that Christians characteristically obey to various degrees. Because if you love the world and the things in the world, the love of the Father is not in you. So you're obeying that, but we all need to hear it and grow in our obedience to it. Do you see? So you have on-off and you have dimmer switch. Dimmer switch commands are given by God to, to encourage us to grow and mature. They convict us. They spur us on. To greater degrees of growth in more areas by God's grace. So we never say, well, since I'm walking in love to some degree, I guess I don't need to grow in walking in love. Right? That doesn't make any sense that we would never say that, right? I hope. Excuse our sin of being unloving because, well, oh, I, am, I am loving. You just can't look over in those areas, you know. You know, cute puppies, check. Annoying neighbor, ah, I'm loving. I'm loving. No, we don't think like that. Dimmer switch commands call us to greater and greater obedience. And these categories are helpful because abiding in Christ is a dimmer switch command. It's characteristic of all Christians. If you're not abiding in Christ, if you're not connected to the true vine, you're, you're not a believer. But if you are a believer, you need to grow in abiding in Christ. He gives us this image. I've already mentioned it. It's an image from farming or agriculture. We might just say gardening. That's the language I'm going to use. And Jesus doesn't just draw one or two points of similarity, right? He might give this an analogy and and say, okay, this is like this. Well, here he's going to draw several points of similarity. I, I think we can see six points of similarity, Between this image of the vine and the gardener and the fruit, and we'll go on from there. Six points of similarity between that and us as as Christ's disciples. This morning I just have two points, and under the first point, we're going to consider those six points of similarity. So, point number one an image, an image for our abiding. This is the first six verses of chapter 15. An image for our abiding. We just want to linger over different aspects. Each one will be worded similarly under this so that you can kind of see the key points of similarity. And then under our second point, we'll consider, okay, how does this actually work? What, is this, what does this look like in our life? And I think Jesus has lots to say to help us in verses 7 through 11 along those lines. So under point number one, we're going to have kind of six points, key similarities. Here's the first one. Jesus, as the vine, is the soul of the source of fruitfulness. Jesus, as the vine, is the sole source of fruitfulness. So in each of them, I'm going to say kind of the Jesus, and then the image, and then the similarity. Do you see that? Jesus, as the vine, is the sole source of fruitfulness. So a vine is rooted, and branches get its life through the connection to the vine. If you take branches apart from the vine... There's not going to be any fruit. Trim the branches off the vine. No longer fruitful. They can't be, right? The vine is the only source of fruitfulness because the vine alone is, is rooted and gives life. Look back at verse 1, right? Jesus identifies himself as the true vine, the only source of fruitfulness. We don't recognize it right away, but Jesus is actually drawing a contrast here between Israel, between himself and Israel in the Old Testament. So in Isaiah, we have this image repeatedly of Yahweh cultivating a vineyard. And he does everything that's needed for this vineyard. He's got walls, he's got watering, he's he's got everything in place. And yet the vineyard only yields wild grapes, not the kind of fruit that Yahweh is interested in. So he judges Israel, right? The the vineyard is destroyed. Jeremiah says this, I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Then Jesus comes and says, I'm the true vine and I will bring the fruitfulness that glorifies God. I will bring that. Notice how Jesus builds on the image down in verses 4 and 5. Look down at verses 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is the true vine to this extent. Fruitfulness is impossible apart from him. We, we sing it this way. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. It's a mighty fortress is our God. So as the true vine, Jesus is the only source of fruitfulness. Simple enough. Let's go to the second point of Similarity. The father, as the gardener, the father, as the gardener, prunes, prunes for increased fruitfulness. That's what the vine dresser does. Look back at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. This is the gardener working his vineyard, tending his vines. There's no neglect here. There's only care from the gardener. When we think of caring for a garden, we might think of watering or fertilizing or maybe removing some weeds. We might think of the location, the need for sun and the right balance of perhaps some shade. But the care of this gardener isn't what we would expect. Note the second half of verse 2. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear More fruit. When we think of care, we don't think of pruning, right? At least not not right away. Those branches which bear fruit, he prunes. He's not just taking the dead ones and removing them. No, he's pruning the fruitful ones. So his care looks like pruning. And his goal, what's the father's goal as the gardener? More fruit. Do you see? Your, your father will not spare one pruning. He will not skip one snip if it will lead to more fruit. He's the master gardener. And he always acts to encourage the growth of his branches. That's what pruning means. Is pruning often painful? Yes. Yes. Is pruning good? Is it for our good? Always. Think of, think of what the author of Hebrews says. Our father disciplines us for our good that we might share his holiness. The father, as the gardener, prunes for increased fruitfulness. Third point of similarity. Still under our first point. Third point of similarity. Those connected to Jesus as the branches, so those connected to Jesus, the branches, have either a non-vital or not life-giving or vital connection to Jesus, the source of fruitfulness, right? So those, those connected to Jesus, that is the branches, either have a vital connection or have a non-vital connection. I think this is really important. This is kind of the interpretive Key to understanding the passage from verse 2 and verse 6. Look, look again with me at verse 2, the first half of verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Notice the word in me. So Jesus believes that there are some that are connected to him on some level, but are still going to face judgment. And it doesn't seem to be their bad fruit that will be burned when we get down to verse six, it's them, right? He's talking about the judgment that all of us, apart from a vital saving relationship with Jesus that we all face. Look down at verse six. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So we shouldn't read the phrase in me and think of, oh, Pauline language in Christ. This isn't what he's referring to, not our union with Christ. He's talking about those who profess to be his disciples. So you feel the warning here. Everyone who claims to be a disciple isn't necessarily a true follower of Jesus. There are are counterfeit, so-called believers, who God will, will judge in the end as the unbelievers that they truly are. Not all those connected to him are vitally connected to him. There's those with a surface connection or a name-only connection. I think the context supports this. Remember Judas? Look back with me at chapter 13. I think Jesus has Judas in mind here, actually. Look back at chapter 13, beginning in verse 10. Jesus said to them, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean and you are clean but not every one of you then note verse 11 for he knew who was to betray him the rest of the chapter bears that out that that is that that is judas now look with me in 15:3 jesus uses the same language as 13:10 already you are clean because of the word that i have spoken to you Those who don't abide, those who aren't fruitful, receive judgment. What a warning. You can be connected to Jesus through your parents, through siblings perhaps. You can be connected to Jesus through your upbringing. You could be connected to Jesus through through this church. But if you don't have a vital connection with Jesus... If you don't have a relationship with the only source of life, John 14, verse 6, the only source of fruitfulness, John 15, then you will be condemned in the end. So this is how one author put it. Unfruitful branches show that they are only superficially connected. Judas represents them. Jesus said, I am the way. The truth in life. No one comes to the father except through me. But unlike Judas, the 11 now, because Judas has gone out back in chapter 13. Jesus is speaking to the 11. They are like fruitful branches who clearly have a vital connection with Jesus. Look again at verse 5. It's so clear, right? Abiding results in fruitfulness. So being a branch isn't enough. Having a connection with Jesus isn't enough. It has to be a vital, life-giving, fruit-bringing connection with the true vine, with the only source of fruitfulness, or you're just playing religious games. There's no third option here. You remain in Christ and bear fruit or you do not. There's not a gray area. There's not another way. There's not a halfway point. You are either vitally connected with Jesus or you are not connected with Jesus. You are bearing fruit or you are not bearing fruit. So Paul would say and the Bible would say, so examine your life. What kind of branch are you? Surface connection? Or life-giving, fruit-bearing connection? Consider your life. Is there true fruitfulness in you? But brothers and sisters, don't, please, get lost in the fog that often rolls in through self-examination. Allow Jesus's promise to you as his disciple to clear the air look with me again at verse 5 i am the vine you are the branches whoever abides in me and i in him he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing a fourth point of similarity so fourth point of similarity jesus's words jesus's words as pruning shears we might say jesus's words as pruning shears are the means of cleansing use the language of the passage to increase faithfulness so we're we're talking about pruning here how does the father prune he prunes with his pruning shears what are the pruning shears it's jesus's words So what does an attentive gardener do? But he examines every branch and weighs the need for that branch to be pruned, to be trimmed in in a certain way to encourage greater fruitfulness. Now, we've read the passage one and a half times. And if you read it 40 more times, you're not going to find pruning shears, right? It's not in the passage. There's no pruning knife here either. But I think it's there by implication, right? So Jesus is using a play on words. This had to be pointed out to me, but I, but I verified it. Between he prunes in verse 2 and clean in verse 3. Those, those words sound almost the exact same in the original. So look again at verse, verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So how does the Father well, his instrument that he uses is Jesus's word. That seems to be the meaning of verse three. So the father is going to cultivate fruitfulness. We already saw that in his disciples. How through Jesus's words, through Jesus's instruction at this point. I just want to put a pin in that. So you'll remember when I reference the pin that we put it's around Jesus's words. We're going to come back to that under our second point. Fifth point of similarity. Number five, they're repeating and overlapping here so we can pick up the pace just a bit. What Christians produce, and in the image it's called fruit, and it's fruit throughout the Bible. It's not a surprising image. What Christians produce as the fruit is the product of this vital connection. And again, we we can use other language to help orient ourselves here already. So fruit... In our lives as Christians, is the product of our vital connection with Jesus, the true vine. Apart from this connection to the vine, there's no fruit. James calls this the fruit of righteousness, James 3. Paul calls this many things. In one place, he calls this the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, and on. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it's called holiness or good works. So, fruit in the New Testament isn't all external. And it's not all internal. It's, it's a changed life that begins inside and overflows into a life. So fruit in the Bible is seen in desires, in attitudes, in affections, in aspirations, in actions, in motives. So let's not settle for a definition of Christian fruit or virtue that's merely external, right? Right. Paul, Paul won't allow this. He pushes back at this in first Corinthians 13, right? He says, if you give away all that you have and deliver up your body to be burned, but have not love. So let's not confuse self-sacrifice with love. Often love looks like self-sacrifice, but you can be self-sacrificial and not love. So it's external it's going to look like something you're going to do something to serve someone other someone else there's going to be fruit that can be seen and picked and enjoyed but it it also reflects a heart but note that it's not something that we can produce in and of ourselves not true fruitfulness not New Testament fruitfulness it comes from the life of the vine Jesus is the sole source of fruitfulness. And as a result, the gardener gets the glory. Look down at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So when you bear a lot of fruit, when you live a holy life, and it's plain, you're a disciple of Christ, the Father is glorified. So the fruitfulness that we're talking about isn't something where you can kind of check the box here self-discipline alone it's about the fruit that only a connection with jesus can bring it's it's about being we might say patient and kind it's about joy and peace it's about sacrificial good works from a heart of love it's about loving your neighbor as yourself and persevering in these things continuing in these things so fruit what the branches produce when they're connected to the vine no connection no new testament fruit sixth point of connection and this one will be very brief because it rolls right into our second main point how christians produce the fruit this vital connection vine branches is abiding right so how we do this the how here the connection is abiding Verse five made this clear. We must abide in order to bear this fruit. Now we, I think, can go a little deeper in understanding this. So point number two. So it's six points of similarity. A couple of them really briefly. Under the first point, this image of our abiding. Now second point, the working out of our abiding. The working out of our abiding. So here we can use Jesus's words to help understand Jesus's word. So we're going to be comparing some things he says earlier in the passage with things he says later in the passage to understand for a abide in me and I in you. what in the world, right? Do I need to go to a cabin? Do I need a long walk in the woods? Am I awake? Am I asleep? Is it passive? Is it active? What is abiding, right? We need to make a little more headway here and we can with Jesus's help. So what what does it mean? What does it look like? Note, though, 4a again, it has two parts. Abide in me and I in you. Let's take the second part first. How does Jesus abide in us? How does Jesus abide in us? Look down at verse 7. If you abide in me... And my words abide in you. Let's stop there. So I in you, Jesus abiding in us from verse four has become my words abide in you in verse seven. So Jesus abides in us as his word does. Jesus abides in us as his words abide in us. This is really helpful. And we can go a step further here. And I'm leaning on the language from Andy Niselli, but I think this is right. Jesus abides in us to the degree his words abide in us. This is a dimmer switch. So growth looks like increased saturation with God's word. It's not about you getting more Jesus abiding in you, but rather Jesus getting more of you through his words being pushed out in other areas of your life to a greater degree. Shaping your desires and your longings and your affections and your actions and your attitudes. So when we say abiding, Jesus abiding in us, that is to the degree that his word abides in us. We say, okay, how can I grow in his word abiding in me? L- let me just give a few moves that you can make. Four just moves. You don't need to write all these down. If you're taking points, is in a sub, sub, sub point. But just by way of application, it's moving from Bible on Sunday to Bible on every day. Maybe some of you need to make that move. As you try to abide in Christ moves from Bible on Sunday to Bible every day. Maybe it's the move from from just reading the Bible to meditating on the Bible. Or memorizing the Bible or studying the Bible. Maybe that's a move you need to take. That his words might abide in you. Maybe it's the move from looking for a devotional pick me up to moving towards deep, rich, encouraging truth, meditating on it. Maybe it's just real practically moving from a Sunday morning hearer to an all-of-life doer. Posturing your heart to say, yes, whatever. I've already said yes to Jesus. I don't have to debate every command. I've already said yes to Jesus. Lord, help me to obey you in all all areas. Notice the result in verse 7. Let's keep reading. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is answered prayer. So when Jesus' words abide in us, we pray biblical prayers in line with his purposes, in line with his promises, and he promises to answer those prayers. So Jesus abiding in us, through his word abiding in us. And the fruit that emerges here is the Lord answers our prayers. So We could step back and say, okay, how does Jesus abide in us? Jesus abides in us as we abide in his word his word abides in us let's go to the first part of verse 4 abide in me how do we abide in jesus look down at verse 9 as the father has loved me so have i loved you abide in my Love. So abide in me in verse 4 has become abide in my love in verse 9. But the question still remains, how do we abide in his love then, right? <laughs> what, is this, what does this look like? We might be tempted to, to go after some sort of a kind of edifying, and I, I, mean, I use that word, uh, or clever maybe, or catchy, or... Hi like give me six steps for resting in jesus i want to rest in his love we might expect jesus to give us some sort of okay yeah here here it is and jesus's answer is is simple you abide in my love the same way i abide in my father's love hmm how is that obedience hmm That puts some legs on it, doesn't it? It moves us from squishy kind of sayings you put on your refrigerator to, okay, I I got some legs now, right? Obedience. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So we abide in Jesus as we obey his words. Or one step further. Naselli again, we abide in Jesus to the degree we obey his words. Dimmer switch, right? Every true Christian, every truly saved person, James Ross cup puts it, in the overall thrust of his life does abide in Christ. By this it is meant that he continues in his new life in Christ. The difference between Christians is a matter of consistency and degree and depth. And richness of intimacy with the Lord. Paul will say we are to live in Christ. To live Christ. Paul will put it negatively this way. We're not to continue in sin. Don't abide in sin. Abide in Christ. The negative side of abiding is we don't continue in sin. We continue in righteousness. We pursue holiness. It looks like greater obedience to Jesus. I want to end with just two other words. This, this passage is so packed. Uh, and I know I'm, I'm going to go over just a few minutes here. But this passage talks about love. I haven't talked about love. This passage talked about joy. And I haven't talked about joy. We can't skip those two. Right. Two last ideas by way of a conclusion of sorts. Love and joy. We talked about love for Christ and obedience to Christ a couple weeks ago. In John 14, we grow our love for him by lingering over his love for us. Maybe you remember that point of application. But he doesn't just call us, okay, abide. But he here again declares his love for us. Verse 9, so have I loved you. Night before the cross. So sure is his success in his sacrificial death that he uses this language. I have loved you. So your obedience to me isn't to earn my love, but your obedience is to to show that you have received my love. Your obedience doesn't secure this vital connection, but your obedience is a sign of it and that you are abiding in it. Friends, we abide in Jesus as we obey his words, rooted in love, aware of his love. Jesus has already talked about my peace back in 1427. He's just talked about my love, and now he talks about my joy. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, these things that we've just studied, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus says, don't let's not let's not think about as is this as, as my disciples let's not think about christian obedience without christian joy so the obedience jesus calls his disciples to isn't joyless it isn't gray it isn't willpower obedience merely some christians have tried to smuggle this into the christian life as if it's the norm right you've seen this joyless obedience but it doesn't fit it's alien It doesn't fit any more than loveless obedience or joy-filled disobedience, right? It doesn't work. Love and obedience and joy here hang together. And if you're like me, you want to say, okay, great, wonderful, thank you, all true, wrote down some great things, wonderful. Joy is super elusive, it's really elusive. I, I can find myself obeying a lot sooner than I can find myself joyful some days. How, how do I think through this? I, I want to obey, and I, but joy? You've made it impossible. If I'm going to be consistent, the reality is, as we've talked many times on Sunday morning, that we live in a fallen world. Sin has wrecked us. We live outside of Eden, not in Eden. And outside of Eden, apart from Christ, our experience of joy is often incomplete and shallow. And Jesus doesn't give us joy, like a little boxed-up form of joy. Like, here's a box of joy. Open it up. That's, that's not how Scripture talks. That's not how we should read Jesus here. No, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And to push the analogy just a little further, fruit doesn't grow right away. Fruit has to be cultivated and fruit takes time. And it can grow over time. So Christ saves us and we are overcome by love, the love of the Father through Christ. We begin to live in that love that we were created to to enjoy, right? We get glimpses of it joy begins to to break out in our lives and we begin to obey without reservation, right? Out of love, in response to his love. And then Jesus promises he will share his joy, a joy grounded in his obedience. You see in the previous verse, verse 10 to the father. Look again at the end of verse 11. That my joy may be in you, And that your joy may be full. Jesus says, my purpose in giving you these commands and making these demands on my disciples is your joy. Do you see that? That your joy might be complete jesus isn't driving a hard bargain he isn't saying choose obedience or joy no he shares his joy insofar as we share his obedience do you see joy grows as obedience to christ grows we can be happy and holy that's what he longs for for his disciples that's what he says will grow that's why the spirit is here to help us each step of the way jesus abides in you To the degree his words abide in you and you abide in him to the degree you obey his words. Answered prayer, increasing joy are the results. Let me encourage you. You don't have to become a Christian who abides. If you're a Christian, you're abiding in Christ already to a certain degree and with room to grow. It'll take time, but grow we must, and we will, with the Spirit's help, as we remain vitally connected to the true vine. So let's live, brothers and sisters, as followers of Christ. Let's live solely reliant on Christ, saturated in his word, then joyfully obedient to all that he has said, more and more fruitful as he says, all to the glory of the Father. Would you pray with me? Father God, we ask that you would help us to know your love for us in Christ. Help us to hear again your word to us. I loved you. Help us to receive that love, to love you and obey you and continue in that. Help us to remain. Help us to grow. Grow in our obedience, grow in our abiding, grow in our fruitfulness, all reliant on the only true source of that life.